This is the Tactical Leader Podcast, where we're on a journey of self-mastery and true leadership. I believe that in order to lead others, you must first be able to lead yourself. And in order to lead yourself, you have to first know yourself. If you want to learn the tactics to get to know yourself, to lead yourself, and to lead others, stay tuned to hear from industry experts as I unpack the tactics that they've used to build their business, build culture, and lead others. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Tactical Leader. We are here today with Steve Sims. He's back on the show uh, after a, a couple of years. Where we're going to get a good update on not only the growth he's had, but also a new book, Go For Stupid. Before we begin, I'll remind you, this show is brought to you by Advancing the Line for Veterans. If you know a veteran that is looking to launch a company and really find that true growth metric, make sure you head over to atlvets.org to see how we can help support that veteran in their transition. Steve, welcome back to the show, my friend. It's a joy. I, I, I would have thought you'd learned your lesson the first time, but uh, I'm, I'm <laughs> proud to be back. Oh, man. Well, you know, it's been, I want to say I probably had you on, and it's probably 2020. And then yeah. you were a speaker at a virtual summit that my business partner and I hosted back in, that's probably three years ago, like February, 2021. And yeah. then I've tried to keep up with you. And I think you hit the accelerator like your Ducati, man. I think, you know, you, you took off. I came out to an event you hosted in Austin, but there have been so many things that you've launched over the last couple of years where I thought you were at the, at the pinnacle and it's like, no, 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 let's give back more to the community. So I'm blessed that you're here, man. I'm excited to see it. You're making this amazing run again on this new book you have that you've released. But I kind of just want to hit on that, man. Tell us how you came out of COVID so strong. And I know you addressed this in the book. There were how many you addressed 300 something millionaires, 700 million. There's so many millionaires made in COVID and you came out of COVID strong. What was your mindset coming out of COVID to now be at where you're at? Similar growth and trajectory. Well, the first correction is I didn't come out of COVID. I entered COVID. And that's that's the difference. Yep. I suppose if we, if we change the word COVID to fight, coming <laughs> out of a fight is different to going into a fight. Right. When COVID came along, I was, I was pissed off. I spent a lot of my life being pissed off, but I was pissed off <laughs> because I'd gone to this really shitty Mexican restaurant in Los Angeles. I got home, saw the news that they were shutting down LA and the, the rest of the world. And I'm thinking, damn it, we're all going to die. My last meal was at this crappy Mexican restaurant. And I just remember, I just remember that. But then the following day, having to cancel all of my flights and everything for the next three months, because let's be serious. We all went into COVID thinking, ah, by summer, it'll be gone. You know, but I went into it and I went, okay, I've had to cancel my next three months flights and my three months travels and my three months appointments. And we, we can't go out. Okay, great. But nor can anyone else. So that means whoever I want to contact has been avoided me because they've been doing meetings. They've been busy. They've been doing book launches, concerts, speaking. They're also at home. Yeah. So I, I leapt on it because I did think, this is only going to last for three months. So I started hitting people hard and going, hey, you know, we were talking about that project, but you didn't have time. You have time now. You know, should we do it? And it erupted. And then, of course, like three months turned into six months, turned into one year, turned into two and a half years. And then COVID stopped on like a Tuesday afternoon at two o'clock or so. It just 
He just stopped. <laughs> but um, I had I had used that moment to get to people that I never normally could get anywhere near because of the excuses. And I worked on the single fundamental that as advanced as we are, as woke as we are, we're pack animals. We really haven't, you know, evolved much from the first time we stood up. We walk past the bush. If it rattles, we shit ourselves or, or we kind of stance up. We haven't changed. We need connection. We need communication. We need to hang around people that we can relate to. So when someone's taking what you need away, let's say for sake they take air away from you. Worse, let's say they take the internet away from oh. you. Oh. <laughs> if I contact you with a few minutes of internet, how much do you want to talk to me? You know? Yep. So I noticed that people were having that core that core instructions taken away, the ability to connect. So by me connecting, I took off. And my God, I couldn't believe, I couldn't believe how so many people weren't. Now, you said I took off in COVID. I took off in COVID because so many people actually went into the back burner. So many people just parked. So many people were like, oh, we can't connect with each other. Oh, we can't get out to live. Oh, my life's doom and gloom. I, I I forget the number. I know you brought it up briefly, but I think it was 500. There was over 500 first-time millionaires registered during that two-year period of COVID, which was apparently supposed to be, A, the first time the planet has been included in the same problem. The planet's never been included in a recession. Sometimes America's in a recession and China's fine. Or Australia is fine. The world wars did not include the entire world. So this is the first time, not in our life, in history, where people have actually shared the same problem all over the planet. Yet over 500 first-time millionaires were born because they saw it as an opportunity rather than a problem. Uh, and... and you know, when we had you speak at that uh, virtual summit we did, that was a big shift for me. I, originally, I launched a uh, physical security firm, and we were hitting that uh, seven-figure mark when 2020 hit because everybody hired, oh, now's the time to hit physical security and, and get all the blueprinting. And then, like you said, turned into six months, and we lost a lot of contracts real quick. Launched that virtual, the, the international dance competition we launched and scaled really, really well. And you were doing several different things. And I mentioned coming out to your event in Austin and you have several different speakeasy events in person pieces. And you're talking about being a pack animal, right? You have to have that connectivity. That's where I feel like you doubled down tremendously. You brought people from around the world into, hey, let's still get together and, and bring this element of humanistic desire back to it. Do you really see that that was the biggest piece for you going from like a a high level exclusive concierge service, which you obviously still do to then now bringing entrepreneurs together. Well, funny enough, the concierge firm I sold, I find it more no challenging. Joke. Yeah. I find it more challenging now getting entrepreneurs to shift the way they do business in their life and in their business to do things differently. So that's my new passion on there, but I did something. And yeah, I'd love to take your compliments. Okay. But <laughs> me and you know each other and I've got the intellect of a house brick. But a lot of the time, people ignore the obvious. And 
I noticed that there was that connectivity that we were losing, okay? And we were losing the ability to communicate. So what I did was on a Friday night, and it's been a habit of mine for kind of like for as long as I can think, on a Friday night, about 5.30, 6 o'clock, I make myself an old-fashioned. And then I step out into the garden, and I this is stupid, but I've done it every single Friday. Just look at that old-fashioned, and I say to myself, did I earn this this week? Okay? Now, it's a really silly thing, but everyone's got three-year goals, one-year goals. I've got a week, you know? And that's why I get to do so much because I question myself every did I deserve this meal? Did I earn this old fashioned? And so I thought to myself, do I did I earn this old fashioned? And I thought to myself, I'm having this drink now. How many other people around the world alone? They can't go in the bars, they can't go in a restaurant, they can't get out. So I literally just went on Facebook and I said, Look, who wants to have a drink with me Friday night? Five o'clock, we'll have a drink. No, no, nothing behind it. No, no sell, no, no angle. Probably telling appropriate jokes. You know, sarcasm will be. I remember there were more than a couple inappropriate jokes, sir. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But here's the funny thing. The first time we had a, we had a plan on Zoom that you could have up to 200 people. Okay. Well, we beat that registration. You know, in the first Friday. And we're like, hang on a minute. You know, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to see if you offer something and everyone's biting your hand off that you may have something. And we did exactly that. Now, we had people from Australia, Europe, Australia, all over the place that were turning up with like that morning cup of coffee as we on a Friday night have got an old fashioned in our house, in our hand. We had people with water. We had kids. We had old, old age pensioners there. And we were just like, Hey, who have we got? Where are you from? And if they came on, we'd be like, all right, tell us a joke, you know, or tell us a funny story. And we would just, there was no business. There was no selling of anything. And we had a couple of people come on that went, hey, yeah, I'm doing this this seminar. (laughs) They were kicked out. We policed that so vigorously. And then we would cheers that we just kicked them out. We had a few people that we kicked out. But we, we realized that deep, deep down, take the Rolexes off, take the Lamborghinis off, take the private selfies off. We just want to connect with another human being and have a conversation and be heard and be understood. We did it in the most, you know, unattractive, unprofessional, unperfect and unpretty method, just having a drink and telling rude jokes. And we realized we had something. We we thought we'd just do this for a couple of Fridays. My God, it went on for over a year. But from that, it got people the chance to kind of get to know who we were, what we stood for. And here was the other thing I couldn't understand. No one else was doing it. Mm-hmm. Now, if you see people are doing virtual summits and doing really, really well at it, well, then why don't you do a virtual summit? If people are selling books and doing really, really well, why don't you do a book? couldn't understand why people weren't doing more happy hours, you know, unselling, unpushing, unupsell, uh, un- but they just weren't doing it. So we won the game by being the only player. 
Yeah, I, I remember when you started doing that. And then I, I remember your Facebook community and that whole group, the, the interactivity between calls was even engaged because people just yeah. to keep that high vibe going. And it, it's funny, you bring up old fashioned and I know we had one in Austin. That is my drink of choice as well. I've, uh, since we last chatted, I, I started dating a, a young woman that's a, a personal trainer. So she makes me cut out the syrups, unfortunately. <laughs> so now it's bourbon on the rock, but it's funny to tie this into the book a little bit. You, you talk about the standards you hold for an old fashioned. And some people say, you know, I never send anything back. I never accept a less than my standard item, but I actually saw you do this in Austin. You actually, somebody gave you a bunch of crushed ice. That's not how you make an old fashioned, right? So you sent it back and you did it very politely. I mean, you're not, you're not a rude individual. You're not a mean individual, but you compared it in your book to entrepreneurs, not holding the line on their standards. Can you talk to us a little bit about how you relate something as delicious and wonderful as an old fashioned to how you maintain the standards in your life? How we do something is how we do everything. It's an old saying. I don't know who actually came up with it. Obviously, someone smarter than me. (laughs) But we actually seem to self-select what we will accept and what we won't. And so if if I turned up at a business meeting with you and I'm trying to get, take your bank manager. You know, you've turned up at your bank manager because you want a line of credit. You're not going to turn up in a crappy pair of shorts and a ripped up T-shirt because you want to portray a standard. Okay, but then why would you accept cold fries when you're having your meal that night? You know, you've got to address the fact that your standards are your standards and that's your that's your level of acceptance and you won't go under that and i'll go to mcdonald's and you know hey you don't go to mcdonald's to expect a michelin star meal but sometimes i like a cheeseburger and fries so i'll go there but if the fries aren't warm warm, i'll just go hey excuse me the the fries aren't can i have a fresh batch please again be polite but set your standard your perimeter of what you'll accept and then they'll be oh yes i've never had anyone go no that's what you paid for and like the 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 crushed ice in an old-fashioned that's not how you do it and i've i've sent them back and i've had bartenders turn around and go i'm so sorry that i knew let me make you one okay and then they thank you very much and i just find that if i can select my standards at that let's call it lower level, that day-to-day interaction, you know, of how I'm courteous to someone. I'll hold a door open. I'll end a phone call. If I can set my standards at the most minute level, then the level I hold to do business, to interact with potentials and opportunities is already high. And here's the weird thing. In fact, I'll tell you a story. I had a client of mine that was at the speakeasies. And I don't think he was at Austin, but he collects sneakers. He's a sneakerhead, you know, and he's got these limited edition, you know, this pair's like 800 bucks and this this pair's like five grand. And I'm like, you know, me, I'm a $69 pair of Vans every single day of my life. But I love chatting to the guy because he's passionate about it. He knows about sneakers. And I love learning why that's a two and a half grand pair of sneakers and that's a hundred dollar pair of sneakers. So I was flying to an event and we had a stopover and I contacted this guy and I went, look, Hey, shot in the dark. 
But I've got to have a stopover tomorrow night in this area, and they're going to hold us overnight because apparently there's a plane situation. So I'm going to stay overnight. Do you want to grab a drink? And he went, oh, I'm having a drink with my buddies. Would you come and have a drink with my buddies? You know, I've told him all about it. And I'm like, sure, great, fine. So I turn up, I get in the cab, run down, jump in the bar with him, and there he is in an old pair of jeans and this scuffed up pair of Nikes. <laughs> and I thought, wow, you know, I'm not used to seeing this guy. Without Every time I would see him, I'd be like, so what's that? And he introduced me to like Off-Whites and all these different kind of sneaker brands I'd never bloody heard of. And I was like, hey, how you doing? And all of a sudden, we went up to the bar to grab a drink. And his buddies are sitting down there. And it wasn't like the, the smartest bar in the world. But hey, it was a decent enough bar. And they did a decent drink without being corrected. But when we were at the bar, I said to him, I've got to be honest with you. Where's your sneaks? You know? And he went, oh, you know, I, I, don't, I, I don't wear those with my boys. Why? And he said, well, you know, I, yeah, they're expensive sneakers and they wouldn't understand. And basically, he had predetermined what that response would be. Mm. And I said to him, so you're telling me that your standard is to go out like that? Because when you come to my speakeasy events, yeah, you got $2,500 sneakers on, boy. You know, and you look sharp as a tack. But you're now here, so you're willing to reduce your standards to your environment. And he was like, yeah, but I feel, I said, look, growth comes with first being uncomfortable. You know, I wonder how they would feel. So I said, look, give it a shot. So he contacted me about a, you know, a couple of weeks later, and he said that he had turned up at this event that with these guys at this bar, and he had wore one of his least colorful but expensive sneakers. And they had picked up on it. And they were like, hey, what are those? And he went, these are so-and-so. And he said he got a bit of a jab, and it didn't last as long as he thought it would, and it, it fell off. And then the next week, he turned up a different pair of these high-end sneakers, and they, they were genuine. Oh, what are these? He said, then he gets a phone call from one of his buddies going, hey, where do you get those sneakers? And all of a sudden, one of his buddies bought a pair of sneakers like the ones he had. And then they went to go to the bar the following week, and one of them turned around and said, hey, we always go to that bar. Let's go to this other bar. And they turned up at this other bar, and three of the four guys had new sneakers on. You see, all of a sudden, their standards were growing and growing and growing to the point that they actually changed the fish pond that they were in to a different environment. You are constrained by not only the environment, the physical environment, but the mental environment that you're saturated in. So I'm a great believer that have your standards, people will climb to yours. As long as you handle them with respect, then your standards dictate how you do everything. And I love that piece. And you you hinted at it uh, a little bit, but another lesson, I think you were with Elon Musk doing different tour with him with some of your contacts and y'all were out there. And one of the points you made was like, everybody, or he made the comment, everybody laughs before they applaud you. And that's a big, man, when, when I heard you say that, when I was listening to the book, I'm like, man, that rings so true. So many people are afraid yep. to be embarrassed, especially from their old crew, right? When you up level, 
you're like, I don't want the boys to laugh at me because I'm wearing Lululemon or whatever brand now as, as I'm wearing a Lululemon shirt. Don't judge, but it's comfy and it's branded and it's right. But people always are afraid to be laughed at, especially mm-hmm. entrepreneurs, which seems to also be a huge limiter, no different than but, your network. And that's, isn't, you know, we, we won't swear, but that's messed up. You see, you can swear, to- Steve. Come on, uh, okay. You can you can drop an f bomb if you need to. Uh, okay. <laughs> there used to be a saying that we all used to quote, and it used to be, "What would you do today if you knew you couldn't fail?" Mm. I never liked or understood that saying because let's be serious. All of our growth and empowerment comes from when we fail, and then we succeed above it, and we go, "Oh, that didn't work. Why didn't it work? Oh, that's why. Great. Mm-hmm. Now I'm educated." Okay, so. I fail, I fail often, and I fail up. But the saying has changed today. Today, it's a case of what would you do today if you weren't frightened of people laughing at you? We really are, almost, I would say terrified, but we're paralyzed when people have the potential to laugh at us. We won't try it. God, we don't want someone putting something on TikTok about how I failed at this and, oh, my God, I better show off, better not show off my mistakes. Do you know who doesn't care about that? Successful people. And I looked through time to look at the Henry Fords, the Elon Musks, the Mother Teresas, and I realized they didn't check their social feeds for your approval when they were making the impacts on the world. Especially they, the space program, right? When you're when you're getting yelled at for being a civilian in space, like Elon. Yeah. Right? They don't they don't care. They don't hear and they don't tune in. Yet we, those people that are not them, pay too much attention to it. So I've really made sure that I seek feedback. I seek challenge, but I don't seek approval. Okay. Approvals like cheerleaders, you know, they look great in a short skirt, but other than that, they're a waste of fucking time. I want people to challenge me, push me, provoke me to be better. Those are the people that I want to surround myself with. But what's the, the cart versus the horse? What comes first in that? Right? Like it's easy to point at Elon and like, well, yeah, of course he doesn't care when he bought X or Twitter, you know, he doesn't care at this point because he's already met that metric of success. Well, you're talking about, it's almost like a rewiring of the, of the brain yeah. to get against the conditioning of society right now. So how do you fight that piece? The cart before the horse? Well, when I'm successful, I won't care. But then you never meet that metric of success because you're limiting yourself in that caring mindset, essentially. The beautiful thing that you keep repeating is the word success, okay? We're not talking about being rich. We're not talking about being uh, wealthy. We're not talking about being slim or athletic. We're being told about success. And the beautiful thing about a successful mindset is that you can adopt it in one second. You can make changes to the way you see things, the way you interact. And I would say that you need to always focus on the small things. Don't focus on being prepared to do a deal with Elon Musk. Be prepared to greet the barista at Starbucks with courtesy and engage in a conversation. Focus on the small interactions, the small commitments, and the small standards so that you are prepared to accept the big ones. In today's world, you've got to be able to focus on the small stuff. Focus on your standards. Once your standards are defined, then focus on your environment. Is your environment the best place to nurture 
your standards. I mentioned about the sneaker guys that actually went from a bar to like this wine bar kind of cool cocktail lounge, okay? That drinks are more expensive, but the people that they're surrounding themselves with now are just a different standard of people. So you've got to focus on the standards first, focus on your environment. And while we're on the conversation of environment, focus on your circle. And that one's going to be painful because you may find that your circle of friends, while you've known them for 20 years, a couple of them may actually be dickheads, <laughs> you know, and they may not be the best ones. Easy way to find that out is the next time you're having coffee with them or a drink or a barbecue or whatever, just go, hey, guys, I wanted to share with you my vision for my company and what I'm trying to do and how I'm trying to set this up and, do, and watch them. And if you get someone there going, oh, Zach, what the hell's going on with you? Are you nuts? If someone spikes your coffee, then you know that's someone that you can't have in your room. And cutting toxic relationships out of your life is very, very tough to do. But the first way to make sure that you surround yourself only with those people that challenge. I remember having a conversation many, many years ago with uh, Jay Abraham and uh, proud to call him a friend. And I, I said to Jay about this business idea I had, and I was pumped. And I'd spoken to some other people, and they thought this was like rocket science. And I went to Jay, and I pitched it to Jay, and Jay looked at me, and he went, is that it? <laughs> I was like, what do you mean, is that it? This is brilliant. Oh. And he turned around, and he said, I, I was just expecting more from you, you know, knowing what you're capable of, who you are, what you do, what you speak about. I just expecting a little bit more. And I realized that I was in the wrong environment. On one environment, Jay's, I wasn't pushing myself. But on this sandpit over here, I was the king of the hill. And we're all going to win a punch-up if we're fighting a three-year-old. So we need to make sure, is our environment conducive to our standards being risen? And I'm not suggesting people go out there and punch a three-year-old. Before you cancel me, you know, although some three-year-olds deserve it. Let's some of them do, absolutely. They've got a mouth on them, but not them all. Yeah, I, I love that, man. And it's funny. Back in November, I hosted an a in-person event, had a, a little bit over a thousand attendees with my speaker was General David Petraeus. So he four-star general, retired director of CIA, got into some misbehavior at one point during his tenure as director of the CIA. But I was able to spend a day with him during these events I hosted. And it was such an interesting piece to, to talk about a man that ran the, the combat in the Middle East, you know, army to army veteran. It was so fascinating to hear his perspective. And what was fascinating beyond that was the perception of the people that attended. They're like, how the hell did you get General Petraeus to come. And I'm curious, as we're talking about up-leveling your network, the way I got them, I was more or less lucky, right? I don't really believe in luck, but it's one of those, I positioned myself well to get a phone call from them, right? I've been hosting events for so long, no different than you. You, you host it, you curate, you, you build the community, and your name gets out there to be the guy that gets the phone call. I happened to get the phone call from General Petraeus, but then people were like mesmerized that this guy gave me a phone call. When you start up-leveling, what do you believe that piece is when you're trying to uplevel that network, get in that new community? Are you, is it luck? Is there a way to actually hunt down that level up room that you should be in or that community piece? Well, you answered it is positioning is positioning and is demanding. And there's those two things you see it's 
hope is a really shit strategy. <laughs> so when you're sitting on the chair going, hey, I hope I get successful yeah. friends that will help, that's a shit strategy. You need to have the desire and then you need to have the motivation and to actually the momentum to go and get it. I call myself aggravated curious, okay? Because I'm curious about, oh, how does this guy do it? Oh, how do these people do it? But then I'm aggravated enough to do something about it. So, but the first thing you mentioned there is you've got to be positioned in order to accept it. You don't want to sit there going, well, I really hope I have a conversation with that person and then get in front of them and go, Ugh. you know, you've right. got to be prepared for it and you've got to bring something to the party. I I have a I have a three-year-old thirst of knowledge that compelled with the size and aggression of me just demands that attention. And so you've got to demand to have the opportunity. Mm. And if you tell yourself, hey, I demand to be in that room. I really want to have that conversation. I'm going to make this happen. If you can create that desire and then actually the aggravation to create momentum, it'll happen. I don't think you were lucky. I think if you, and we all like to sit there and go, whoa, I was like, I was lucky when I was working with Andrea Bocelli in Florence. I was lucky right. when I was working with Elton John. I was lucky to walk through SpaceX with, with Elon Musk, you know? <laughs> or was I positioned? Had I created the opportunity, had I created the position that when it came across, I was able to take it. And I, I reckon if you went through what you had done and all the little hinges that moved the big doors, it was just a click to get the general win. Yep. And I, I'm the same with you. I've had conversations with... Yeah, the Pope, I've had conversations with Sammy the Bull Gravano, you know. So I'm a great believer that we need to be in a position to accept those opportunities first. And again, that's mindset. And you used a word right there that I loved, but it was when you said it and you said it in the book, and when you said it, I didn't I didn't like it. It didn't sit well with me, but like you hit the key, the nail on the head. And I we keep talking about the book. I want to make sure we we highlight the full name of it. Go for stupid, the art of achieving ridiculous goals. And it's really focused on, there it is. It's really focused on achieving ridiculous goals and really that art of, of, of breaking your mindset attached to it. But you use the word demanding and you have to be demanding. And you said in the book, you have to be more demanding of your relationships. Mm. And when you said that, I'm like, oh God, I can't do that. Right. And this is, this may be the, the, barrier I have as a veteran. Veterans, we freaking refuse to ask for help, right? Yeah. We're pretty demanding stuff in the military, but as you transition, I know you've talked to some very high-level vets that, yeah. that are in this similar space and they're trying to get out there, build their own brand, but it's so difficult to be demanding of relationships, but also have that standard of expectation. Can you dive into that for me and really give us context around that? Yeah. I want to be the best possible version of me that I can. I remember Joe Polish came up with a line which scared the shit out of me. He said, the definition of hell is to meet the man or woman that you could have been. And that rocked me to my core. But I was also proud that I've also taken enough chances to be that person so that when I meet myself, I can go, yeah, I did it. You know, I lived life. I had a health scare last year, actually. All good now. I'm still kicking. 
But at the time, I had said to Claire, my wife, I had said to her, look, I don't want to be morbid, but if that was my time, and of course we were past it now, so you know I wasn't on a, a hospital bed or anything, I said, if that had been my time, I could have gone proud knowing the fact that I'd lived 10 of someone else's lives. You know, I had pushed every button. I had grabbed every opportunity. I'd walked into every door. I'd walked into every conversation. Some of them bad. Some of them scary. Some of them profitable. But I'd always pushed myself for that. And I remember many, many years ago, having that demand for me, I looked at Claire and I treated her differently. You know, I was this person over here, but at home I'm this person. I thought, hang on a minute. I want the maximum out of my life. I want the maximum out of my whiskey cabinet. I want the maximum out of my motorcycles. I want the maximum out of anything that I have has to be the best to my standard. You know, someone else may, you know, want a Lamborghini. Good for you. I don't. So for me, I want a new motorcycle. But I thought I'm not having that demand with Claire. But oh my God, I can't demand things from Claire. Because you can't demand things from you want a good relationship. It doesn't start by demanding things from your wife. But I had a conversation with her and I said, Look, I I sure I, I don't know how to say this. So, and it's funny that I actually speak on communication when quite often I don't know what to say. And I said to her that I want more. You know, you're beautiful, you're smart, you're but I want more out of us. And I, I, I think there's something here. And the funny thing was, that wasn't funny at the time. She looked at me and she went, I want more out of my husband. And she said to me something that scared me. She said, you're a great father. She said, no, she said, you're a great, that was it. You're a great negotiator. You're an excellent speaker. You're a fantastic businessman. And you're a decent father and husband. Mm. And I'm like, fuck. You know, she's got the house. She's got the car. She's never got to worry about being protected and loved. But I'm an excellent speaker and I'm an okay husband. That don't sit well. But why am I an expert speaker? Well, I practice at it. I train it. I demand myself to be better. Why? Because the better I am, the more I can charge, the more stages I speak on. Why aren't I adopting that standard? And again, it always comes down to standards. Why aren't I adopting that standard with my wife? And I said to her, you are in charge. When I slip, put your hand up, you know, just make it, whatever, and just go, oh, could have been better. And we went through some not tough years, but probably eggshell years. <laughs> Where I'm like, oh, is this is this good enough? Is that good enough? Yeah, you're okay. You've got to pass on that. Okay, great. And I'm thinking, fucking hell, this is work. I've been with that girl for 40 years. Mm. And she's my heir. She's everything. But it's because we demand so much of each other. And if she says something that sparks me, I'm like, whoa, I don't like that. Where did that come from? And... We're very abrupt with each other, and we now have a phenomenal relationship because we demanded it. And we've even taken that down to the kids. We've taken it to our parents. We've taken it to our next-door neighbor, you know? And if they don't match our standards, 
We don't communicate with them. And a lot of people out there will turn around and go, oh, well, you must be really lonely. There's a lot of people out there that will openly say, I hate doing business with people. You know, oh, I'm not good with people. That means you're mingling around with the wrong people. You know, personally, if you can hang around 10 people that you love, when you come out of that room, you're so pumped. You got so much juice in you, so much joy, so much love. You can't sleep. But if you hang around with 10 toxic, negative people, you can't wait to get out of that room and you drive home angry. So if you don't like dealing with people, I ask you, is it because you're dealing with the wrong people? Man, that's such a great question to be asking yourself as you're up-leveling that. But I I want to applaud you for, for talking about Claire. Uh, and your relationship. That's something that so many people don't want to dive into in that personal space. And it's something that I have a five foot 10 blonde Italian. So she's spicy as hell that I used to be a bodybuilder. So the prettiest drill sergeant I've ever had pretty much. And we're going through couples counseling and as veterans, I mean, the divorce rate among first responders, veterans, military, oh, yeah. awful. Yeah. Um, and very much guilty of that, right? Because a big piece of it is we give so much to our service no different than entrepreneurship. We give so much to the business, which I've been guilty of both, that we we lack on the standards we hold to our significant others, even though they're probably our greatest supporter, right? Yes. Or should be our, our greatest supporter if we allow them to be. So I have to applaud that you brought up, Claire, and I know you mentioned her in the book and the standards of the relationship. That's a difficult thing, brother. That is such a hard thing to oh, yeah. turn back into like the personal life and be like, all right, I have to be better here. Because you're like over here, but I'm checking all the boxes, making the money, getting the house, getting the things, doing the manly, quote unquote, things that you're expected as the provider. And then you forget, like, you got a a beautiful woman here supporting you. So I I have to applaud that, man. That's beautiful. But doesn't it's all. And look, for many of you out there that don't have a partner, we're talking about your circle. Now, I I can win a fight if I jump in into a ring with someone. Hopefully, maybe not. 57, I'm a lot slower now. But, you know, I still live with the ideology that I could win a couple of fights. But with the right people behind me, I can win a war. And those right people start with those closest, nearest, and dearest to you. You want to know that when the shit hits the fan, your partner can just give you that cup of tea, you know, just hold your hand for a few seconds and then go, you okay now? Right, get back in the ring. You know, you need that person, whether it be a best mate, whether it be a friend, whether it be a loved one. But you need to have those standards. The more you put into the right people and the right circle, the better you become. And again, it's selfish because I'm very, very selfish. I want to be the best person I can be to live the best life I can live. And for me to be the best person and me to have the best life, I've got to give the best in order to get the best back. And dude, that's such a a crazy thing to think about in the military. We do. You have your battle buddy, right? It's such a standard that we have in the military, but we forget about how important it is in in business. And those of us that have my ex-wife and I, we work the business together. And that was like detrimental to the relationship. Like we couldn't balance work and personal and all the things. And I see that a lot in entrepreneurship where you don't have that battle buddy. 
do you do you think it's something that they have to have they have to be like-minded they have to be entrepreneur to entrepreneur how do you match make that piece of finding that person that stands in the trenches with you literally to find that accountability partner if you will well the trouble with vets is a lot of things pro- you can say it a lot of oh, things yeah. oh well just about to yeah um you you you're pretty much fucked to start with okay and the reason that you are so fucked is because you have that battle buddy on the field. You have that regiment. You get up at that time. You follow orders with little information, but you're still expected to succeed. You have to have the standards that if you don't win, someone could die. You turn up on time. You don't argue. You get it done. And then you get into real life full of flakes and bullshitters and they'll turn up when they, and you've got these standards. What do you do? I've worked with so many vets. What do you superheroes do? You dilute to their standards. That's fucking dude. Sorry. Keep going, man. You're about to get me like worked up on that. That That's so freaking true. I see it. I see it. But the trouble is you've come out with a healthy, unfair advantage to dominate a win. And then you're settling at that pace and speed. If you just held your own, if you just stood up, you know, the, the ones I live in LA, a true story, true story. I live in LA and I had an appointment. I think this was about two months ago. And I said that I'd meet this guy. Okay. And he had some issues and he wanted me to help him. And I said, look, I'll have a first meeting with you. It sounds pretty deep, but I'll have a first meeting with you. I charge 1500 bucks for a 45-minute call. I said, let's just meet and have a coffee and go through it. So I turned up. I'm not military, but if you're there at 10 to, you're on time. If you're there at 10 o'clock, you're already 10 minutes late. So I'm I'm there 10 minutes to. I've got my table. I'm ready. I've got my coffee. I'm ready for the guy to come in anywhere between 10 to and on the hour. He turns up at 20 past. Oh. Oh. And the first thing he oh. does is apologize about traffic. So I said to him, I just want to ask you a question. Was your traffic any different to my traffic? Because I sure as fuck was on time. Secondly, I gave you this meeting for free. And you still couldn't be here on time. I wish you well. I got up and I left. And he actually had the audacity to say to me, hey, I'm really, really sorry about that. Okay, I accept your apology. But I won't be late the next time. I said, there is no next time. That was your freebie. You know, you want me to do it again? You pay. And the military have that, but they dilute it to the normies. They absolutely should not. You, you're already at a pedigree, a standard, a level where you can dominate. And your standards, as I said, let's not, let's not you know, dilute it. If you do something wrong, someone could get hurt. You know, if I plow two grand into Facebook ads and they don't work, I'm still going home at night. You know, it's not pain. So get your standards right. Get your perspective right. And that's for start. Thank you for your service. But stay up to the standard that you've spent that time with. That dominate. Let let the rest of the normies rise to your standards. 
Right. I love that so much. And it's been such a hard part for me where as I transitioned out, I got medically retired and wasn't even officially medically retired until about nine months ago. So even when we were together, I was active duty on and off and going through uh, treatment for the nerve damage. And it's such an easy thing to like check out. Right. And I think entrepreneurs do the same thing at times when you go from corporate into entrepreneur, right. You have all these standards of operation. Then you're like, oh, I'm on my own. And you check out of that standard. Right. Yeah. Slow up. Drives me absolutely nuts. So I, I love that piece of it. I'm going to stay off my soapbox. I think you nailed it on the head. <laughs> I want to hit just the last question attached to it, man. We've talked about your legacy in the past, everything you're bringing into the world. You're now releasing a second book, which I've delayed my release of my second book for the same reason. I freaking hate the process, right? And I know you mentioned that part of it, but this book is all about just being stupid with your goals, like really, mm-hmm. truly going for stupid, ridiculous goals. If you had one piece that to talking to standard, talking to your circle, talking to those pieces, what would that one thing be that would be the boot in the ass to that entrepreneur or that potential entrepreneur out there listening? What would be that one boot in the ass move you would recommend for them to make? Dream big. There is two, everyone that we idolize today, Jeff Bezos, Mother Teresa, Elon Musk, Richard Branson, Henry Ford, anyone that you idolize went for something large. Now, here's the funny thing. They may well have failed, but they failed 30 times higher than they would have got had they learned to accept what they had been given. So dream big. If people aren't laughing at your goal, it ain't big enough. And then go for that and fail up. Love it. Fail up. That's such a great, great quote attached to Steve. You're the man, brother. I want everybody to have the opportunity. I know you're doing so many awesome things. What's the best way for people to follow on? I know you have every social media platform. You have, of course, the podcast. You have the, sorry, let me hit the podcast, The Art of Making Things Happen. Then you've interviewed some phenomenal people on there. I mean, truly, the the Rolodex of people you've had on there is phenomenal. And you've already name dropped half of them, so I won't brag anymore on you. But, But where can people best listen, find out more? I know you have the distillery where people can be a part of the community. Just give us a rundown of how the audience can best take a next step with you. Uh, it's very easy. Look, if you're aggravated enough to do something different and you want someone to prod and provoke, then simsdistillery.com will tell you about our community. But you can head over to Steve D. Sims, D for dashing, and there's only one M in Sims. SteveDSims.com or Steve D. Sims on any social platform, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you know, whatever, threads, whatever the damn ones are now. But I'm Steve D. Sims absolutely everywhere. I suppose I respond most of the time on Instagram. So hit me up on Instagram. Tell me you heard me on this show and shout out some love to my boy here. I love it. Steve, you're the man. I appreciate it. Everybody go do that. Follow along. Go grab the book. I personally recommend the Audible. I love listening to you because you go off on tangents (laughs) on other things. So I love listening to it, but it's available on Amazon. You got the podcast on all the iTunes and all the other aspects of podcasting. Bro, Steve, thanks so much for your time, brother. Thanks for coming back on the show. Thanks, Zach. Look after yourself, pal. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Tactical Leader Podcast. If this episode helped you along your journey of self-mastery and has inspired you to do more, 
I challenge you to head over to myvoicechallenge.com so you can find out how you can discover your voice, claim your independence, and build that thriving business that you've always wanted. Again, that's myvoicechallenge.com.